Hello, everybody. Dr. Joe Vitale here of Hypnotic Gold, and this is another audio fascinating moment, an educational experience for Hypnotic Gold members only. And I'm very excited because I'm doing something very rare, something very unusual. It's going to make this particular interview a collectible one. I've been doing these interviews for almost three years now, and I don't think I've ever had a guest come on a second time. But I'm doing it this time because the man I have on here is so fascinating, so smart, so wise, such a treasure of information, quotes, resources, and so forth that we've got to go revisit him. And I'm talking about Dr. Gene Landrum, and I want to make sure he's here. Gene, are you on the line? Yes, I'm on the line, Joe, and thank you very, very much. Will you call my wife and say that? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll let her, uh, one of the few other people outside of Hypnotic Gold, listen to this later. Well, let me warn her. Let me warm up the crowd here. Uh, Gene Landrum's 13th book is now out, and that's what we're going to be talking about. And you will want the book, and you will want to take notes during this call. This book is all about fear and fame. That's not the title. The title is Paranoia and Power, but the focus is fear and fame, and he focuses on entertainment icons to make his points. And we're talking about people like Sammy Davis Jr., Robin Williams, Elvis, Judy Garland, Bob Dylan, Irving Berlin, Frank Sinatra, Bono of U2, Richard Burton, Shana Twain, Madonna, uh, Jack Nicholson, Wildman Jack Nicholson, Steven Spielberg, and more. So this is Gene Landrum's 13th book. It's a self-help work, and it's on the inhibiting inner fears that motivate or debilitate depending on you. And one person once said, hesitate and you are lost. Well, why do you hesitate? Why do most people hesitate? It's fear. It's fear of not being good enough, fear of the unknown, fear of coming uh, from thinking too much. We fear all these things because we don't understand how other people, visionaries, attack those fears and magically transcend them. So anyway, we're going to be talking about all of this today. And Gene, I can't thank you enough for spending time oh. to revisit my Hypnotic Gold members. Oh, yeah, you, you, you're, you're so good at what you do, Joe. I'm uh, uh, very, very happy and pleased that you would have me on. And what you just said is one of the things I talk about in the book, uh, what you just, about hesitating your loss. I don't know if you're aware of the data, and I'm sure you are. You're so well read. Uh, they, they did a research study, and the driver that's going to die at an intersection is not the one that hits the accelerator. It's not the one who hits the brakes. It's the one who freezes and cannot function effectively and act. They're the ones who they found, they're the ones who die. I mean, wow. And that, happens, like... in, that happens in all aspects of life. That's a great little example, but people do it in business. A lot of my Hypnotic Gold members oh. are online or they're thinking about being online or they have a business or they're thinking about going into business. And what I keep finding is a lot of them will rationalize why they're not moving, but the underlying truth is that they fear they fear failure or they fear success. Seem to be the oh, two biggies. Is that, that is what, so. Oh, that is so true. It's everything that I found uh, in all my research on the subject, and I saw it. You know, when I other things I've done, everything. You know, and they uh, people just to the unknown. They call it xenophobia, as we know, the fear of the foreign, the fear of the unknown. Is that what it's and, uh, called? Xenophobia is the fear of the unknown. It's called xenophobia. The fear of the foreign, right? And it yeah. persists. And one of the reasons it persists, uh, Joe, and I speak about this uh, uh, extensively because I've, in all my research and studying, we all have that, and sometimes we don't even know. You know, our parents 
have imprinted us very young in, uh, when we we're very early in life that I call viral infections of the mind in the book. Mm. And sometimes they'll say, and, and rightfully so in many cases, but, uh, oh, 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 don't talk to strangers, honey. Mm. Or, you know, uh, be very, very, uh, well, guess what? If you say that too many times, the kid becomes paranoid about that or very fearful of it. And at 25, as you and I both know, Joe, you better be talking to strangers, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it turns out that parents don't even have to say it very many times because you're so impressionable up to the age of, what is it, Gene, five, six, seven? Oh, yeah, it's seven or eight where they're, you're in a state, state of uh, learning, and that's when super learning takes place. A lot of people aren't aware of that. It's when, uh, when you're in a state of shock and chaos that you learn a great deal as well. That's when personalities can change. But in children, that's why they learn new languages better. That's why they learn things quicker. Uh, you know, a lot of people aren't aware of that, but you're in a theta state of learning. It's like right prior to sleeping. Why do they tell you to listen to a uh, language mm. tape then? Well, you're in that theta state at that given time. That's it's, a good it's tip in, a, kind of, in its own, is that if we want to learn something, we can do it as we're drifting off into sleep. And that's oh, why, exactly. Because mm -hmm. no, one of the things we've done is uh, we've kind of turned off our left brain which is our inhibition center. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, and, you know, as you know, I tell my students, because I'm a professor in grad school, I tell them all the time, you want to learn, you want to solve a great dilemma in your life, go to the beach. Tell them that Dr. Jean said just, and the reason mm -hmm. I say that, Joe, is, when, and, and all of your listeners I know have heard, done this themselves, at 3 o'clock in the morning you wake up and say, aha, yes. that's how I'll do that. Yeah. Or you're driving or you're at the beat, guess what? You have turned off that, that thing in our brains that keeps us so attuned that we can't learn anything new. You know, I want to make sure that we're going to cover something here, because I know my hypnotic gold members are probably leaning forward and saying, yes, I know I have fear, yes, I know I have programming, yes, I know the parents, my culture, my school system program me for lack, limitation, fear, and so forth. Are right. you going to give us a way out? Are you going uh, to help us transcend the fear, overcome the limitations, um, get out of the programming that was installed when we were very plastic and vulnerable? Yes, and of course I end my book with a thing that I call a CanCon, CanCon Creative Energy, CanCon Yourself. Sometimes we have to uh, uh, you know, con ourselves. I use the example in the book of Oprah, who uh, I, I think I might have mentioned this before with you, mm -hmm. but uh, Oprah... When she was 19, she got that first TV spot. I know you're thinking of doing this, Joe. And, yeah. and Oprah was from Nashville, and she was very poor. And she thought, sat there that day, and um, I have Oprah, as you know, in three of my books. And mm -hmm. Oprah told herself, well, what am I going to do? I'm going I, to be on television? And you know what she did, Joe? She sat down, and she conned herself. She said, oh, I know. I'm not Oprah tonight. I'm Barbara. This was in the heyday of Barbara Walters. Ah. She said, you know what I'm going to do tonight? I'm going to walk like Barbara. I'm going to dress like Barbara tonight. I'm going to talk like Barbara. She walked out that night and did that, and guess what? She wasn't her. She was Barbara. You know what I find you so interesting about this, Joe? Hmm. You know what? In my opinion, today she's better than Barbara, <laughs> right? <laughs> she She conned herself to be what she was not, and sometimes... We have to do that. The other thing I talk about, as you know, towards the end of the book, is the uh, sometimes we have to get crazy. We have to get goofy enough not to listen to those inner tapes. Mm -hmm. And I have so many examples of that. 
with these, uh, especially the uh, the Sinatras and the Sammy Davises and the and Sammy Davis, the greatest entertainer that ever lived, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. Carl Jung, the great psychotherapist, and I know you've studied him yeah. extensively. Well, Carl Jung was in a state of breakdown by his own admission when he did th- things like extroversion, introversion, intuition. All of that, he was in a state of breakdown. Well, guess what, Joe, and your listeners, when we're in a state of breakdown, do we have to listen to those in our tapes? No. We can go beyond those. We can do our own thing. So sometimes we almost have to break down to break through. I'm totally convinced of that. I love all of this. And, you know, I've got to make sure I I didn't fully introduce you here because there may be some people, unimaginably, don't know all of your other books. And it ties into what you were just talking about because I think when I interviewed you before, we focused on the Superman syndrome. Yes, that is true. It was either that or empowerment. And Superman syndrome is one of my favorite books of yours. I mean, you've written so many uh, empowerment, Superman syndrome, entrepreneurial genius, literary genius, eight keys to greatness, profiles of black success, profiles of power and success, profiles of female genius, profiles of genius. You're one prolific man. But, <laughs> Thank you, Joe. You're very welcome. Oh, I just well, in up. fact, on this Superman thing, let's talk about that for a and second. And that's why I brought because... it up. The Superman syndrome is another great book, and you say you become what you think. So go ahead. Oh, it's a, our kryptonite is in our minds. Go mm. look in the mirror. You've mm. got to tear off that existing what you are, your persona, and put a big S on your head or your chest. <laughs> and so you can transcend, because we all have those. We've been programmed, We and, and to get beyond those programs, we've got to almost uh, play as Superman and be what we're not. And I quote in that book, as you recall, Joe, Arthur C. Clarke, one of the great geniuses, mm. you know what he said? The only way of discovering discovering the limits of the possible is to venture a little way past them into the impossible. I love it. What I'm just talking about in terms of these uh, uh, ways of getting beyond what I call viral infections of the mind. We have to go beyond those. In fact, in my new book, uh, let me can I tell a story about Elvis? I, um, oh, I would love it. I was going to ask you about Elvis anyway because I saw one section in there where the uh, the evolution of the hip movement came into play. And exactly. I to, uh, yes. Well, he was, uh, he was uh, pathologically shy, and just think about this. When you're pathologically shy, he was built on by a mother, an only child, and at 19, the very first time he went on stage on July 30th, 1954, he went on in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and he was up there, and he was, so afraid, Joe, so fearful that his left leg was shaking and twitching uncontrollably. By the way, I got this from a psychiatrist who had done a tremendous work on um, on Elvis. And um, he was shaking uncontrollably, and he came off at the break, and he looked at the producer, and he said, why are all those young girls screaming? And the producer looked at him and said, hey, man, your leg is shaking provocatively. Don't stop it. (laughs) Of course, Elvis took, and uh, this is what we can learn from this. He took his greatest fear, his greatest weakness, and he turned it into his greatest strength. He started the other leg shaking, right? (laughs) Which I find, really, if if we have to look at our things that, that hurt us and take them and use them to help us. And that's one of the things I'm trying to say in the book. I have a test, as you probably know, at the mm-hmm. end of every chapter on how good are you at doing this? Can you also do this? Can you also be what you are not? Can you also go to those places? 
And uh, in, in, as you probably know, Joe, I spent all that time in California and uh, Las Vegas. I uh, saw Sammy Davis two times in Las Vegas, two oh. times in Lake Tahoe. Oh, lucky you. And Sammy, the Sammy was one, in my opinion, the greatest entertainer to ever walk onto a stage. Wow. And you know what? Are you? I'm sure you are. You saw. You read my book. He was illiterate. He could not read or write until he was 19 years old. That is so He had amazing. never gone to a school. He was... Uh, he, he had just grown up on the stage, but he had never had a lesson in playing the piano. He could not read or write a note of music. He had never had any lesson on any instrument. He had taught himself to get beyond his fears and beyond his uh, ineptitudes, if you will. And he could play. He could play the trumpet. He could play the drums. He could play every instrument in the band. And he had taught himself. No. I, and, and, and that it just blew me away when I uh, when I learned this. And he had learned to flash dance. You know, we had that movie Flash Dance in what around oh, yes. 1980. Uh, Kevin Bacon or somebody was in it. Uh, very good. And yeah. he, but uh, I thought that was where that came from. Well, Flash Dance came in the 30s when Sammy was a little kid and growing up, and he was trying to survive. And he uh, had taught himself. He met Bojangles. There was really a Bojangles who wow. sang that song. And oh, Bojangles uh, was a flash dancer. He was faster than light, faster than lightning. And as you, we all recall from St. Sammy, Sammy was the ultimate flash dancer. Was he quick? <laughs> he was faster than fast. And he did something, Joe, and I know you're thinking of doing a TV thing. Mm-hmm. He said, you know what? Uh, people get bored in this industry. It is a real problem. We have got to continue to be different. He never did one show the same ever. He did hundreds of shows all in, in Vegas alone, and all the every show was different. And wow. and that's what it takes. Now he was trying. It was fear that drove him. His fears drove him to be what he became. And I, and I love this quote. He was walking off of the golf course with the Rat Pack, playing golf one day, and a reporter stopped him and said, Sam, what is your handicap? And Sammy thought for a second, looked at the reporter and said, look, man, I'm black, I'm little, I got one eye, and I'm a Jew. That's my handicap. (laughs) And that's kind of blew me away. I said, here's a guy... You see, you can't say that, Joe, unless you have that, and you, with all your education, know, unless you have that indelibly imprinted deep within. Deep within, he had to be quick. He had to be fast. He had to be you know, you go first class. He had to do and become what Sammy became. And, 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 in fact, I have a quote in the book. And Sammy said, the car I'm driving has only one gear, Ford. And he said, if we ain't going first cabin, this boat's not leaving the dock. I love it. I love yeah, it. I love it. Well, you know, it brings up a couple questions here because your book is about paranoia. It's called Paranoia and Power. It's about fear. Correct. And so I, I'm sitting here wondering, is fear a good thing or a bad thing? Are we well, needing to remove the fear or do we use the fear? In very Sammy's good. case, yeah, in Sammy's yeah. case, if we took him to therapy and we got rid of his fear, maybe he wouldn't have been the greatest entertainer. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and that that is so true. That's a superb question, uh, Joe, because the fear, up to a point, the fear is absolutely a positive because 
we are afraid to fail, and when we're afraid to fail, it drives, you know, Donald Trump, uh, who, he probably wouldn't know this or would never admit it. You know what? He's afraid to fail. And you know what? Because of that, he has become eminently successful and become a billionaire. Mm. And um, it's a and and I have a quote. You know, I have Bono, the Irish rock star. Yeah, well, that's one of my favorite chapters in the book. It's one of the chapters, and I have this wonderful quote from Bono. He said, "Overcoming my dad, telling me I would never amount to anything, is what has made me the megalomaniac that you see today." What was that? He was he took the fear of his dad telling him his major primal role model in his life when he was young saying that he was going to be a failure. That whole thing drove him to be and he admitted himself that he would not be what he is if it weren't for those fears. And um I find that really really quite interesting. Um So how do yeah, I you know, know if I'm sitting here and I'm afraid or a listener in hypnotic gold is listening and they're afraid how do they know where that line is where the fear is actually useful or the the fear is actually stopping them? Well, that's and that's it's a, it's a superb question because uh you're going to find out because we've seen people who walk around with that dark cloud over their head. Mm. Those people that I call the victims, the world's victims, they say, oh, you're just lucky. Oh, those other people are lucky. I'm unlucky. Well, when you start saying things like that, I'm unlucky, well, you know what? You better not. Uh, we make our luck. Mm-hmm. And uh, does stuff happen? Uh, yes, it always happens. We all have downsides. We all have problems. But um, it's, uh, in fact, I use Sinatra says fear is the enemy of logic. And he mm-hmm. was absolutely correct because what we do is we sometimes crawl into bodies. You know people who are really depressed, Joe, they sleep a lot. Yep. They, they don't have much energy. Yeah. They are, you know why? Because they've permitted the fear to denigrate them. And you can either use fear for a, an inspiration or you can fear use it to justify your a, inability, your, you know, and when uh, you lose all. Oh, uh, it's, uh, you know, the other people are just luckier. Well, you know what? The lucky people happen to be the people who work very hard. And, and so, I have theory, Joe, mm-hmm. that if you attack a fear, it goes away. Mm. Uh, it, it, I have all kind of data on this. If you Like a bully. If you a bully wants to pick on people, they can pick on it. If a kid will hit the bully back, he might get beat up. Mm-hmm. Hit the bully back in the nose. You know what? The bully goes away. And that bully of fear in our mind is much the same identical thing. When if we're a fear of flying, those mm-hmm. people that are afraid of flying, take, and I had a, a student, by the way, who is the personification of this. She came to me after class and said I had changed her life. She said, oh, I said, how? She said, you know, I have never flown in an airplane in my life. She was a triathlete, a 30-year-old triathlete, mm. incredible gal. And she said, but had never been in an airplane. She was petrified. And I said, if you'll take flying lessons, you have attacked fear dead on. You are attacking it, and what you attack goes away. And she said, she did it. She said, I don't have my license yet, Doc, but you know what? I can now fly. <laughs> and, you know, and I tell uh, the students all the time, you're afraid of making a public speech or talking? Well, join Toastmasters. Well, you learn to talk, and you do that very gradually. And as we do those things gradually, they happen to, you know, they disappear. 
and it just it's a gradual kind of thing that we do that uh, it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, you have to rewrite those uh, early fear imprints that cause us to be the way we are. I love it. In fact, I want to give a personal story here. I missed out because Elvis had the, his deep fear, and it caused his leg to twitch, and it turned into be his trademark, and women loved it. In the early days of me speaking, 20-some years ago, 25, in Houston, I was terrified of speaking. I would lean against the wall when I was in a small room so I wouldn't faint and collapse and slide to the floor. And I remember one time, speaking to a small group of people, my legs started to twitch, probably like uh, Elvis's did. Oh, like Elvis, yeah. And, And I hid it behind the podium, and I thought, now I missed an opportunity. I could have become the lusty speaker of Houston with the, uh, the lusty, the leg twitch. But right. I kept I kept speaking, and now of course I'm in the secret. I'm in like five other movies that'll be coming out. I've been on Larry King twice. I've been on Donnie Deutsch. I've been on numerous programs. I opened for Donald Trump in Chicago. I spoke for the National Speakers Association, where professional speakers came to hear me, and there were two thousand of them in the room. I have now mm-hmm. spoken to crowds of five thousand and eight thousand. And tomorrow I'm going to L.A. to talk to people who want me to have my own weekly TV show. I love now, it. I'm the same it. guy who almost passed out. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And see, it's it's that it's getting to that breakdown period to become. And, and in my book, as you know, I use uh, uh, the uh, incredible, uh, you know, legitimate theater, Richard Burton. Yes. Richard Burton. A lot of people would never realize this. You ever saw him in Camelot with Liz Taylor? I mean, this guy had won so many Oscars, was so incredibly articulate. Well, he had gotten fired in his early twenties, almost just like you just said, Joe. Mm. He got fired in London. And for incompetence, whatever he had done, he had messed up, and uh, maybe it was a leg twitch or something, yeah. and they fired him, and then, uh, but you know what he did, and it wasn't good, I don't recommend this to any of your people, yeah. he learned then to drink, as you probably know, yeah. and he actually would not go on the uh, stage without having a belt of vodka, and mm-hmm. he couldn't smell the vodka, so he... Uh, did it, but was he incredibly, uh, uh, you know, and, and as you know, I have another one of these, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, I wanted to ask about with, Spielberg, the movie director. Oh, he he was petrified. He even said, uh, I have a quote from his mother, that he was terrorized from the age of two until uh, all the way to adulthood. And then I have a quote mm. from him that says, he's still terrorized in his 50s. He was still terrorized of the dark. Except for one place, Joe. The one place he was never terrorized, which I find really interesting psychologically, was in a movie theater. Mm. And the reason was, in the theater, and this fits your thing that you've done so well, in a movie theater, he would escape into fantasies mm. of wannabe, of transforming into, and, and guess what? You know, Close Encounters, Jaws, Raiders mm-hmm. of the Lost Ark, E.T., what are all those? Mm. They're escapes. And I, and I quote him in my book, he says, I dream for a living. I'm a kid at heart. I've never grown up. Wow. You know, Joe, I hope you get there too. Two billion. He is now with he, this kid who had a C average, who could not get into college, they wouldn't accept him at UCLA or USC, is now worth two billion. He could buy the, the colleges. <laughs> that, that is so amazing. Isn't that unbelievable? You have so many stories that are proving that fear doesn't have to be something that stops us, that in fact we can embrace it, we can actually use it, we can exactly. leverage it, we can even make money from it. Exactly, exactly. In fact, the the example that blows me away, I uh, was doing this research on, since you're going to Hollywood, and you mm-hmm. may use this sometime, Sinatra could not read or write a note of music. Mm. 
Elvis could not read or write another music. Judy Garland could not. But here's one that'll blow you away. Irving Berlin, the greatest composer who went to the, what, third grade, didn't learn to speak English until he was 12 years old. Mm. He was an immigrant from Russia. He wrote God Bless America. (laughs) He wrote White Christmas, Easter Parade, Blue Skies, no business... (laughs) He could not read or write a note of music, and Joe, and for an educator, and I know you are as well, this is almost heresy for me to say this. Had he been able to read and write music, he would never have written these songs. Yeah. The reason is he would have known too much because he violated many of the principles. He had most of, uh, of New York City and Hollywood telling him that White Christmas and God Bless America was stupid. Mm. Well, what if he had listened <laughs> yeah, and you've got some stories in here about, first of all, not listening to everybody around you. And another one, and this is a quote that I remember from Mark Twain. Mark Twain said, ignorance plus confidence will equal success. Right. And that's from the idea that if you don't know what's supposed to be done and you don't know what the limits are and you don't know what's right or wrong in a particular industry, but right. you have the confidence to go forth and do whatever it is from within you that's bumping you along, nudging you along, you will have success. Exactly. We we sometimes know too much for our own good, and we yeah. know too much about our fears. We know too much, oh, that's not safe. We shouldn't go there. I see it all the time with people wanting to start a new enterprise, become a, an entrepreneur, or like yourself, uh, embarking on a new TV career, which uh, you don't have a background necessarily right. in that arena. Guess what? Um we, uh, if we permit those fears of uh, an art, not well. Look at me. I did Chuck E. Cheese. I can't boil water. I started a chain that's <laughs> doing about a billion a year now. <laughs> wow! And I and and my students are saying, "Well, how did you do that?" Well, if you will go look in the mirror and say, "Well, I don't know how to make pizza," or "I don't," but I'll hire some people that know how to do that. Exactly. You know what? Hey, just find the people that can do and, 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 and turn the keys and, and, and move the bolts, and you can just chase your dream, and um, and, and you're the personification of that, Joe. Um, and I wish you all the luck in Hollywood because I'm telling you, I have so much data that says um, we just know too much. I, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, Joe. I had about 10,000 salespeople working for me at one time. No, I didn't know that. And I always found that the best salesperson was the one who didn't know too much about where not to go. Mm. They weren't too smart to know that they shouldn't walk in that door because, oh, they don't ever buy. Guess what? (laughs) Those people who are too stupid to know where not to go come out with a big deal. (laughs) Wow. Wow, I I love all of this. And it's true that, you know, uh, as people have been talking to me about having my own television show, my fears came up because I first thing I would say is, well, I've been on TV, but I've never had my own TV show. What if I'm not good at it? What if people don't like me? How do you do this? And so as the fears come up, I've just looked at them, and I've actually sat at one point and said, look, I can stop this whole movement and just put my foot down and say I'm not doing a TV show. But if I said that, I know I would be coming from fear. Exactly. That you're so right on, Joe. And yeah. in fact, you and I both have studied. Remember Rollo May, the great psychotherapist. Yes. Yes. You may not have run into this study, but I found this pretty interesting myself. I noticed. I said every time I go on to a TV show myself, and every time I go do this, and I'm a bit nervous. And I was reading Rollo May, and he had made speeches all the time. And you, he did a study once, 
And he said, I'm always anxious and my stomach is rumbling and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm shaking a bit and I'm nervous. And he, but he was unbelievably good at that. So you know what he did one day? He said, okay, I'm not going to worry about nothing. I'm just going to say, ha, 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 I don't really care. <laughs> he went out, and he said it was the worst speech he had ever made. <laughs> <laughs> because the worry makes us do better, right? Yes. It makes and you care. Uh, and, and, and like, because we care, we try harder, and up yeah. to a point, you can't, I, mean, you, I have in my book, there are 40 million Americans who suffer from anxiety. Yes. And, if we, and, and those people, unfortunately, have permitted uh, it to get to them, and they are on tranquilizers, they're on drugs, they're on whatever. And I am uh, convinced that uh, the person who looks at those fears, attack them head on, actually become better than they would if they didn't have those fears. And of course, so, I have. Uh, I want to interrupt for a second here, yeah, and make sure I'm on track with you. So I'm understanding that fear can be a negative or a positive, and what you're saying okay. is to actually embrace the fear. So if you're afraid of going into business, go into business. If you're afraid of speaking, go out there and start speaking. If you're afraid of flying, go take flying lessons all the way down the road. Whatever the fear is, yeah, and because we we get our, have gotten ourselves programmed that we're afraid of that. And unfortunately, children who were raised or reared in an environment that said, oh, you can't do that, or you can't go there, and they're too protected, they have learned to live within that security field. Mm. And uh, Mm. we have to overcome those old-time security things because it's too safe. I am very fortunate that I didn't kind of have a mother or dad. I was raised in, you know, when you're reared in a, uh, I was in a military academy, mm-hmm. when you're at seven years old and sent away from home and you've got to fight your own battles, guess what? Mm-hmm. You learn to fight those battles. Now, and I always hated every minute that I was there, but you know what? You could drop me in Indonesia tomorrow. I can make it. <laughs> Am I afraid of it? Because I had learned very early in life, and, and sometimes we have to condition ourselves a little later to be able to do things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, I use, uh, it, that leads to my next question here, Gene, because yeah. I'm understanding about fear and I want to embrace fear. And somebody like you who was brought up differently than, than me and some of my listeners, you're ready to be dropped off in a foreign country and you, you'll survive. You'll probably build another Chuck E. Cheese or the equivalent <laughs> over there. But right. what about the other ones who weren't that way? Can, is it as simple as pretending, you know, using the Superman syndrome, the title of one of your books? Do I just pretend, for example, I'm Gene Landrum? Or do I protect, pretend I'm Gary Cooper? And then will that pull out of me the resources that may not have been installed in me to begin with? Well, we have to do. I, I, I talk about this extensively towards the end of my book, and I talk about it. Three things you got to do. I mentioned it earlier. Sometimes you got to get crazy, and, they, and crazy people they're not afraid of anything, right? They get really goofy, and I say that facetiously to some degree. But I have a lot of examples. Uh, Freud himself was in a state of breakdown when he did The Unconscious, you know, in the mm. late 1890s. Carl Jung was in a state of psychosis. Uh, I can go on and on and cite you examples. So, But if you don't want to just go crazy, so you know, let's do something a little bit better. Let's rewrite those early fear imprints with positive mantras. How do rewrite. we do that? I mentioned it earlier, join Toastmasters if you're afraid of the water. You know, mm. take scuba lessons. But I use this um, Frank Sinatra in the book, and Sinatra was pretty interesting, I find, because he knew when he was coming up, it was a zillion years ago, but Bing Crosby was everything. And he decided, at, I think it was 18 years old, he wanted to be uh, a singer. 
but he said, "How can I compete with Crosby? I can't compete with him." Mm. And and he, you know, he was suddenly afraid. He said, "What am I going to do?" And he said, "Oh, then I must be different." I don't know if you're aware, Sinatra was uh, manic depressive, uh, bipolar. No, I didn't know. Uh, uh, very bipolar, and uh, he, uh, what he did was, he went and started in New Jersey, started swimming underwater every day for hours and holding his breath longer and longer so he could play his voice as if it were an instrument. And it was Tommy Dorsey at the time he was trying to mimic. Dorsey could uh, hold a note longer than anybody else. And Sinatra, for some reason, with no education, no musical training or anything, looked at his fears of not being able to make it and said, oh, what I'll do is just be make myself different and make myself better. And I don't know if you're aware of this, and I talk about this, but a singer can hold bars, two to four bars. Uh, that's the average. Sinatra trained himself to hold bars for six to eight hours. So sometimes what we can do is is attack those fears head on with a positive. Take the negative, make it into a positive, and it will work. But also you could use that fear of failing that I talked about earlier, mm-hmm. or you can do something like, I, which I find really interesting, Jack Nicholson, since we're getting close on to the Oscars and you may be out there. Yes, Mr. Crazy Jack himself. Nicholson Jack Nicholson never walked into a college in his life. He's probably the brightest, according to many, many people, the brightest man in Hollywood, bright, the brightest. He's won more Oscars than without any training, any uh, you know, training in the musical arts or uh, acting. He has uh, won more Oscars than anyone else, and here's one of the reasons that I hope your listeners can learn from. One flew over the cuckoo's nest, his first Oscar. Mm -hmm. He was going to be, uh, as the protagonist, being a a rapist, a mass murderer. Mm. And Jack looked in the mirror and said, well, I don't know anything about how they think. Mm. I don't know how they act. How am I going to be effective in acting a part that I know nothing about? And I'm telling you and your listeners this, Joe, for a reason. Because I'm telling you, in my opinion, 99.9% of the other actors who might have gotten that part would never have done what Jack did. And that's why he won the Nobel or won the Oscar. He called up in Orlando, uh, in um, um, Oregon, where they're going to film. And found an insane asylum, and he called up. He said, do you mind if I check in for a month? He, this is a true story. He goes to Oregon, checks himself into an insane asylum, and sits there and has lunch and dinner with mass murderers, with rapists, with total nutcases, so he could learn how they think, how they speak, how they talk, Mm. How they shoot baskets. Remember this scene on, on the basketball court. Yeah. I mean, Jack was absolutely, incredibly, I mean, he was right on. Why did he win an Oscar? <laughs> he did, Joe, what most people would not do. A guy's worth millions of bucks. Mm-hmm. Is he going to uh, put himself into an insane asylum? Mm-hmm. No chance. So and you say there's went, three, three ways to handle the fear, and was that, that was the second one, wasn't it, about reprinting? Reprinting yourself, rewriting your early fear imprints with a uh, a, a positive mantra, 
And if you can do that, like Jack did, and, mm-hmm. and, and Jack, of course, is very bright. He, the other thing he did, when he was hired to play uh, the Joker in Batman, mm-hmm. you know what he did? He, re- he started reading Nietzsche. Wow. <laughs> well, wow. Well, you would read, read Frederick Nietzsche, the existentialist philosopher, yeah. so you can go play a part? Well, that's what the great people do, Joe. They mm-hmm. look in that mirror and see, and, oh, how do I know how a Joker thinks? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's only a fantasy. Well, he got, what, he make $75 million making that one movie? Right. That is unbelievable. Wow. And that's what I've been trying to look at in this whole uh, book that I wrote, is how do these people uh, who were, you know, entertainers uh, take their greatest fears and, and Bob Dylan, you know, they just did a movie on Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. And Dylan was the prophet of protest, as we can remember back in the 60s and 70s. Rolling Stone, blowing in the wind. Uh, his his whole thing that he he was doing, I'm not there. There are times they are changing. We shall over. All, you know where all this came out of? Hmm. He grew up a, in the fear of that whole nuclear uh, holocaust. Oh, right. Uh, he grew up in that whole area. He was born in 1940. And the whole, uh, people were building basements to uh, uh, because they thought the world was going to be nuked. Yeah, that would be and the fallout. And he grew shelter. up in that thing. And uh, in that whole 60s area, he dropped out of college and started singing and, and it, with the guitar, no training again. Hmm. But he read philosophy, he wrote, read psychology and poetry. He read Walt Whitman, Dostoevsky, Camus. Amazing. And, and, he, and what did he was doing? He was not a very good singer. What did he do? He was doing poetic muse, hmm. philosophic muse <laughs> to music. And it was what, and he became the hero which he never wanted to become, actually. Mm. But he became the hero to a whole generation who were saying, hey, uh, you know, I'm out of here. I'm not listening. <laughs> right. Well, I want to make sure we're on track. Do we have those three ways of handling fear? The first, uh, getting crazy. The getting second, a little goofy. Next one, rewrite your early fear imprints. Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, you know, do that. Fear and in. the other one is to attack the fear, early fear imprints to become mm. what we're not. You have to attack those things, uh, and the only way to attack them is to know them, right? Mm. I talk extensively in my books, Joe, and you I think you have as well, is mm-hmm. you can't change any behavior that you don't understand, mm. including your own. Mm. You can't motivate another person unless you understand what makes them tick. And, and I tell people all the time that, uh, hey, we should not, uh, if, are you, uh, I think you know this, the greatest salespeople in the world speak 20% of the time yeah, and listen 80% of the time. And what they are doing is they are asking questions and they're not talking and they are finding out how they can sell their client. Hmm. Well, you can't do that when you're talking. So stop and what's talking. An, what's an example of attacking a fear head on? Uh, well, I, I mentioned earlier, if you're afraid of flying, you know, you take mm-hmm. a flying lesson. But okay. if you're afraid of uh, of uh, scuba diving, if you're so afraid the, of making do the speech, thing you fear, you, fear. Uh, you should, um, uh, you know, go make speeches. Gotcha. You should go uh, join Toastmasters, and mm-hmm. and it it, it 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 takes some time, Joe. Mm-hmm. I use in in some of my examples the uh, uh, example of how uh, I use the uh, analogy of. Sled riding, you know, going down the snow, 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if you get snow out there where you are. But, no, but I was born and raised in Ohio, so I know what snow well, is. Well, you are. Oh, so is yeah. I. So we're both Ohio guys. Buckeyes. Right. So we're Buckeyes. when you go down, the brain, they've just discovered in the last decade, the brain is li- almost a metaphor like a snow track. Is we take a sled track and go down that track and, uh, we, and learn something new, learn a language, learn whatever we're learning. We're going down that track, and while going down that track, we are breaking new bra- building new brain cells. That's what's mm. actually happening. New brain cells are being I- imprinted on that. So if you think about that, our brain has got this track, and we're on this track, and it's going down there, and it's 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 making an imprint. Well, every time you make that imprint, and, and think about older people, they get stuck in a rut, right? We they keep going down those same tracks, don't uh. they? They've gone down the same track for many, many, many years, and they get into they call we call those habits, and those habits that mm. we get used to going into, uh, they become habitual. Whether it's drinking, whether it's uh, the way we act, the way we function, and we go down those tracks. And I tell people all the time when I'm speaking to older people, we should uh, stop. You know, we just got to keep building new tracks. Mm. And in my opinion, it's the reason that Bob Hope lived to be a hundred, and the uh, those people kept they kept working they kept doing things they kept building those new snow tracks mm-hmm. and we have to keep doing that um, we have to keep rewriting those mental fear tapes and uh, and, and and attacking them if you will and uh, mm-hmm. as we uh, do, go down another track and we try or like you're going to try to do go do a TV yes. thing right we go we go do that new TV thing and you're building a new track. Absolutely. And, and you have to keep doing that. Okay. Uh, but in my me, opinion, to keep growing. Well, let me ask you a couple of things here because we're going to run out of time. and I, 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 just, I could be talking to you for the next three days. You've got so <laughs> much information. And also, just to remind everybody, I'm listening to, we're talking to Gene Landrum, and his website is genelandrum.com, which is www.genelandrum.com. Genelandrum.com. He's written many books. Highly endorse every single one of them. Just go to the website and buy all of them. We're focused on the Paranoia and Power book, his latest book. One of my earlier favorites was the Superman Syndrome, You Become What You Think. But again, go get all of these books. Now, Gene, i got to ask you. In fact, Joe, if I might say it, if one of your listeners, perchance, want a a book, I will send them a free CD. I've got a CD on this Paranoia and Power and much of the things we're saying. I will send them one of those things free. If they say they heard you, uh, heard me on your, uh, you know, Joe Vitale oh, show. Oh, okay. Thank you. Okay. We'll go to GeneLandrum.com, buy all of the books, one of the books, whatever, the Paranoia and Power book, and mention you heard the, this interview, and he'll throw in the CD. Now, I got to ask you about Bono here because you've got this whole chapter on charismatic power that I found fascinating. I mean, the, every page of the book is fascinating. I've underlined, I've yellow highlighted pages, I've turned down pages, but I didn't know that Bono's name, for example, was made up. I didn't know that Bono was Latin, meaning good voice, and I didn't know that he kind of created his whole persona, his whole personality, and a kind of a movement. And on page 195 of your book, you've got these charismatic qualities. One is have purpose, grab hold of a mystical vision to attract followers. And the second is be mysterious, enchantment comes from the unknown. The third is be uninhibited, never compromise, go where uh, mortals fear, take the journey with unbridled provocative energy, and there's more. But I'm wondering, for the people listening with Hypnotic Gold, can we draw parallels and build a website or a business that incorporates just this page alone? 
for example, have purpose. Grab hold of a mystical vision to attract followers. Well, I'm kind of doing that with my TV show would be called Expect Miracles. My mission is to awaken the planet to the idea that uh, there's nothing impossible or incurable, and I'm going to go out there and prove it. So am I on the right track in understanding yes. this? From, am I getting yes, you crazy? are. In fact, let me give you two quotes from uh, Bono. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that he said that I found really uh, inspiring, he said, you're insecure, because he was, right? Mm-hmm. He said, you're insecure, you end up a performer who needs applause. Mm. Wow. Mm. Is that powerful stuff or what? Mm. Uh, he also said, uh, you know, we thought we had the answers. It was the questions we had wrong. <laughs> uh, I found about what you were saying there, Joe, is absolutely right on. He, uh, I don't know if you're aware how he got transformed. You know, he was 14 when his mother died tragically mm-hmm. of cancer. Mm-hmm. And it was at his funeral that he changed his name from Bob Hewson to Bono. Wow. Okay. And he did that, and that's one, a transformation that sometimes we can take. And, uh, and, and of course, we, a lot of times we need to take that transformation. If we are embedded in fear, we say, well, I think I'll take the safe path. I think I'll just stay here and, uh, and, 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 and just retire and get this gold watch, and I'm not going to go do my thing. So mm. you don't need to be doing what you're doing, Joe. Do you need to be going to Hollywood? No, but guess what? You know, when you're 80 years old, in my opinion, uh, the only things you're going to not, uh, you know, like are the things you didn't have the guts to do when you were, you know, 50 yep, years old. That's what I'll be regretting. If I didn't do it, I'd be thinking back, thinking, what would life have been if I had tried? Exactly. That's what I've been. Well, you know, there's a lot of charisma-type talk in your book, too, because you've got John F. Kennedy and Bill Clinton and Hitler and all these other names, and there's this great quote from a biographer of JFK. When Jack appeared at a party, the temperature went up 105 degrees. And there's, right. a, there's a bio or a statement about Picasso that he was just, you were swept up in passion for him and trembled when near him. And Hitler had the magnetism of a hypnotist. How do these people get that, or maybe more importantly, how do we up the degrees of our own charisma and our own attention-getting qualities? Because I think anybody that's in business needs to be able to pull in that attention, and there's ways to do it with your vision and with uh, you know, your eloquence, your hypnotic writing and hypnotic marketing and hypnotic publicity, the other things I talk about. But what about this? I mean, is it all a matter of doing what Oprah did? You pretend you're somebody else? Well, no, it's uh, it, it a little bit different. It's, mm-hmm. uh, I talk about self-efficacy, which is you, you've got to believe that you can yeah. or you can't. You know? And uh, you and I, you just, you've done a lot of work in that arena. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we don't think we can, we can. And if we don't think we can't, we can. You know, I mean, that's I, I say that all the time. But uh, it's part of that is it gets wrapped up in our own ego, right? Our own uh, self-belief, uh, mm-hmm. our own, uh, you know, it's a positive versus a negative. Uh, so what I found is charismatic people. Think of the charismatic people we're talking about. Think about Napoleon. Do you think he had a big ego? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> think yeah. about Donald Trump. Do you have to give him a test on ego? <laughs> no. Uh, think about the people who you th- that come across as pretty charismatic, even a Hitler who was a total negative. Mm. Guess what? Did he believe he could? To the point he thought he was messianic. Mm. I, and, and so we must have a very, what I call an egoistic fervor. If you believe people will follow you to any promised land, they will follow you. Okay? You have to be adventurous. Charismatic people tend to be adventurous. They tend to be in commitment. They're, they're willing to go where the other, where the pack is not. 
Mm. Most people, that's this whole fear thing I'm talking about, right? Mm. People who are not charismatic are not willing to go where other people won't go. And that would so go back to fear. The, the reason they don't do it is do because that. of fear. Exactly, it's because of fear. Uh, you have to be uh, very, I don't want to call it theatrical or mag- yeah, magnetism, mm-hmm. uh, but if you have magnetism, Babe Ruth had magnetism. He's a very simple uh, guy with no, was he charismatic? People adored him. Mm. They would do anything for him. Why? Because he was bigger than life. Did he have a big mm. ego? Yes, he was willing to strike out to hit a home run. Uh, Bill Clinton's that way, right? Yes. JFK was that way. Uh, and the great, uh, and as you know, Napoleon was that way, Hitler was that way. But you have to be a certain amount of uninhibited, and it's for your people that aren't familiar with inhibition, mm-hmm. uh, Harvard discovered by accident they took their most creative students and tested their brains. And the most creative students at Harvard, this was like three years ago, were the ones with the least amount of inhibition. Where does inhibition come from? It's that left brain fear surety thing that says, oh, stop at the stop sign. And, of course, that's good. I should use that as an example. <laughs> but be careful. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, just follow, Just do what everybody else does, honey. Uh, no, we shouldn't be different. We shouldn't, uh, you know, I, they would have told, my mother told me, uh, you know, you can't have a rat in a restaurant, honey. Uh, well, Mom, I got a rat in a restaurant. <laughs> you made a you made an empire out of a rat in a restaurant with the Chuck E. Cheese pizza. Well, listen, uh, we're, exactly. ru- we're running out of time, but I want to make sure I hit on a couple more things. One okay. is you talk about following bliss, and we know Joseph Campbell said follow your bliss, and I often Correct. tell people to follow their their passion, their love, their enthusiasm. Well, what do you tell tell me a little bit more about that? About following your bliss? How do we do it? Why do we do it? You know, where's our bliss? Why is that even? Well, what happens is, uh, Joe, and you and I both know this, we've known a, a zillion people that have been so programmed to follow what dad did or mom did, and that's, mm. you know, or follow what their preacher or their teacher says. Mm. And that's all nice and well and good, but guess what? Mom and dad, preacher and teacher, got to live their life their way. And anyone, and I have lots of data on this psychologically, you follow somebody else's life, you are setting yourself up for a schizophrenic existence. Mm. You are setting yourself up. Life is too short to be following somebody else's dream, chasing somebody else's bliss. Chase yours, Joe. I think we may have talked about this. I was making a speech at a big hotel in uh, central Florida mm-hmm. a few years ago, and I, can't, I, I finished my lecture and said, just uh, follow your bliss. Stop chasing somebody else's. Chase yours. Life's short. Chase yours. And I came off the stage. This is a true story, Joe, which you'll appreciate. A blonde in her 40s walked up to me and said, Hey, Dr. Gene, um, I want to buy a couple of your books, but um, you know what? I have a Ph.D. in psychology. And she said, Where is it? I almost, you know, I look at her. Where is it? That bliss thing. Where did I find it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I almost, this is a Ph.D. in psychology. She wow. had never stopped uh, long enough. to. Uh, we go through life wow. and we wake up at 40. We've been doing what somebody told us to do. Mm. Not good. No, no. <laughs> Not so follow, good. Yeah, follow your passion, follow your bliss, follow your so follow life. Your follow your passion, follow your... And, you, in fact, what I told her, Joe, is what you just said. You're so sharp. You get it. I said, what gives you goosebumps, honey? Mm. What turns you on? If it ain't turning you on, um, 
and I, I say it in my book, I assume I can say it on your thing here, you better pass the two missions test. Two missions, if it ain't turning you on, go someplace else. I, and you, you know this data. 70% of the people go to work every day hate what they do. Oh, boy. Yep. Why, why would somebody do that? Uh, you know why we're on 40 million people on tranquilizers? That is crazy. <laughs> why would someone do that? Uh, and the reason they're doing it is they're not chasing their bliss. Yeah. If you would just chase your bliss and have the guts to do it, you will live a happy, uh, a very adjusted, and a satisfying life. And that's what this whole talk has been about, this whole interview. I've been talking to Gene Landrum, Mr. Superman himself, an entrepreneurial genius, a man who is uh, worth a profile of power and success because of what he's already done and what he's doing. What's next on the map for you? Are you working on another book? That's I, I'm doing a book on the innovator mind, this whole brain thing. And uh, we have to, um, you know, if we can't see it, the Chinese will write a picture's worth a thousand words. Hmm. I'm going to do what's called the innovator mind, how we can uh, see the world through a, um, uh, both the left and right brain kind of thing. And I'm, I'm writing it right now, calling it the innovator mind. So I don't know Beautiful. what I'm going to come out with it. But. Beautiful. Well, Gene, do you have a final thought, quote, takeaway point, the one thing you want people to remember as we're ending this hypnotic gold call? Something uh, you want them to be well, reflecting uh, on. Joe, uh, it's, uh, don't be trying to be too correct to be creative. And, uh, and I guess uh, since it's in my book, the, your kryptonite is in your mind. Mm. I, I say it extensively in my book. Uh, your greatest fears... Uh, and your greatest secrets are what's going to bury you, you know, mm. because, uh, uh, you know, that's the thing that hurts us. So uh, be, be, be very leery of those things that we're afraid of because they're the ones that are going to lead us astray and down the wrong path. Beautiful. Well, Gene, I can't thank you enough. I can't wait for your next book to come out, and we can have another visit, and you'll be the, the another rare moment because I'll be interviewing you for the third time for my Hypnotic Gold <laughs> members. Hey, thank you, Joe. I wish you all the luck in Hollywood. If I can help you in any, any way, I would love, I'd love what you're doing, man. You're doing a very, very commendable job. Oh, thank you. And for all my Hypnotic Gold members, face your fears. Go and read Paranoia and Power. Go and read The Superman Syndrome, and in fact, go get all of those other books. Go to GeneLandrum.com and buy them all. They are works of genius. Godspeed to all of you, and I'll see you on the next issue of Hypnotic Gold. Joe Vitale, over and out.